0: Please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, that's page 8, excuse me, page 198 if you're using the black Bibles that are provided there. Today we've come to the end of the book of Joshua. And here in chapter 24, Joshua, who's at the end of his life, gives a final charge to the whole nation of Israel as he leads them to renew their covenant with the Lord. So the title of the message today is Totally Committed to the God of Grace. Totally Committed to the God of Grace. As I studied chapter 24 this week, two themes that stood out to me were commitment to God and the grace of God. Joshua is calling for Israel to be totally committed to the Lord, but this call for commitment is all couched in the grace of God. It's God's grace that has brought Israel into covenant with the Lord, and it's God's grace that should motivate and empower Israel to keep covenant with the Lord. So these two themes of the grace of God and commitment to God, I I believe, are central to this passage and they're certainly central to the Christian life as well, right? As we seek to then this morning understand and study Joshua's charge that he gives to the nation of Israel, uh, in addition to understanding that, I'm going to seek to uh, apply then um, these truths to our lives as believers under the new covenant as well then. So I'm going to work through Joshua chapter 24 under three simple headings, if you like to take notes or if you just like to know that I'm making progress today. Three headings. The first is remembering God's grace, remembering God's grace. Verse 1 sets the scene that we have before us here. Look at verse 1 with me. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So here we have Joshua gathering all of Israel at the town called Shechem. And you say, well, that sounds familiar, and it it should to us because back in chapter 8, which was early in the conquest, Joshua had brought Israel to Shechem where they at that time, renewed their covenant with the Lord. Remember, in between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and how that represented the, the conditional nature of the Mosaic covenant. Were they going to have bl- blessings or curses based on their obedience? But now here in chapter 24, some 30 years later from what happened in chapter 8, as Joshua is now about to die, and now Israel is settled in the land, the conquest is, is for the most part complete, it's time once again for Israel to renew their covenant with the Lord. And if you remember, Shechem has a significance in the history of Israel, because Shechem is where Abram first received the promise of the land back in Genesis twelve six. God called him out of Ur, but to go to a place where he wouldn't know, but then once as he obeyed that and once he was here, God first uh, gave him that promise here at Shechem. So it's a significant place uh, when, you, when Israel was thinking about the promises of God, the origin of those promises, and now the enjoyment and fulfillment of those promises that they were experiencing so now here in Joshua chapter 24, we have this formal assembly of the nation before God at Shechem. And, it, and even the fact that they're there, the fact that uh, they've defeated the Canaanites, that they're possessing the land, that itself is living proof that God keeps his promises. That God has, has done what he promised the forefathers he would do. He has multiplied them into a great nation. He has given them this land. He is dwelling among their midst. And he is blessing them. And so he is faithful to his promises. And now then in typical near eastern fashion, at least of that time period, this covenant renewal ceremony will begin by highlighting the blessings that God has brought upon Israel. And then Israel will be called to respond and, in one sense to, to sign their name on the contract as it were, pledging their loyalty to the Lord. So that's what's happening here in chapter 24. As Joshua addresses the nation beginning in verse 2, I want you to notice that Joshua is speaking for the Lord here, right? There's going to be a lot of first person, I did this, I called uh, Abram, I sought, I defeated. That's the Lord speaking through Joshua. He's telling Israel, he's highlighting what we have in these first 13 verses really is kind of like a, a summary of Israel's history up to this point. And God is highlighting all the blessings that He has showered upon the nation of Israel, all that He has done for them. So look at verse 2 with me. As Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abram or Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. So let's pause there. What do we have in verses 2 through 4? We have really a summary of the book of Genesis, <laughs> at least from Genesis 12, the call of Abram, to the end. Uh, where Jacob and his descendants are heading down to Egypt. Notice this all started Israel's history. All started with God's gracious initiative, right? I mean, how? Why are they there? Why are they a people? Well, it's because God chose to make a covenant with Abraham or Abram at that time. He was called, right? And who was he? Was he a follower of the Lord? No. It says. He he was actually an idolater. He, along with his father, served other gods. But yet God, in his grace and mercy, chose to call Abram out of that life of idolatry. And, And God pledged himself to Abram and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I'm going to shower these blessings on you. This was all initiated by God's grace. Abram didn't deserve this. But yet God chose to be gracious to him and give him these amazing promises. And then God reiterated those promises to Isaac and to Jacob down the line, right? So now then we come to verse 5, and and just like verses 2 through 4 summarized the book of Genesis, verses 5 through 7 summarize for us the book of Exodus. Look at verse 5. This is still the Lord talking, right? And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Again, this is highlighting God's grace, isn't it? God continued to show grace to Israel, how? By powerfully delivering them out of bondage there in Egypt in accordance with his gracious promises. Now then, verses 8 through 10 summarize the book of Numbers for us. (laughs) Look at verse 8. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against you. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Again, what... What a joy to hear this Just this synopsis of their history because it's highlighting God's grace and how God continued to work his great power for the good of Israel. He gave Israel victory over those two Amorite kings east of the Jordan, where some of the tribes are dwelling, by the way, right? And then the Lord sovereignly reversed uh, Balak's plans here, the king of Moab, by by reversing uh, what he had sent Balaam to do, right? Balaam was sent to curse Israel, but God sovereignly... Um, got a hold of him and he actually blessed Israel <laughs> showing just God's power over evil right the Lord by his sovereign grace was protecting and providing for his people then in verse 11 and following now we're to the book of Joshua that we've just been studying now we're to the part of history that those gathered there they've, they've lived it themselves right look at verse 11 and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Right? All, the, all the, the, the pagan nations there in Canaan and I gave them into your hand verse 11 says and I sent the hornet before you which drove them out before you the two kings of the amorites it was not by your sword or by your bow i gave you a land on which you had not labored in cities that you had not built and you dwell in them you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant Again, this assembly right there, gathered there at Shechem, they've seen firsthand how the Lord has fought for Israel, how he powerfully drove out the Canaanites, how he gave Israel the land just as he had promised all those years ago to Abraham. Time and time again, they've seen uh, how God has brought victory for them, how he's given them victory over the evil Canaanites. And verse 12 makes it clear, the Lord doesn't want them to miss this. It wasn't by your bow, it wasn't by your sword, it wasn't because you guys were so strong and, and cunning as an as a army. No, it was because the Lord was fighting for them. He says the Lord sent the the hornet before them. I know that's a little strange, but I think that's just a metaphorical way of of God describing how he struck terror and despair into the hearts of the Canaanites because they could not stand against Israel. It It was so clear to everybody that God is fighting for this nation. Everything Israel now possessed and enjoyed had been given to them by God. The cities they lived in, the produce they ate, those were all reminders to them that the Lord is gracious and that he's faithful to his promises. God has been so gracious to Israel. Think about it. Again, entering into a covenant with them, making these amazing promises to them, working great miracles for them, powerfully providing for them, keeping all those promises that he made to them. Israel doesn't deserve to have the Lord on their side Israel doesn't deserve to be God's people. Go read Deuteronomy 7 sometime. There, the, God says, hey Israel, it's not because you were so great among the nations that I chose you. Matter of fact, you were the fewest among the nations, right? I mean, you weren't even really a nation. He made them into a nation. But Deuteronomy 7 stresses that it's not anything in Israel that makes them worthy of this. It's because God chose to love them. Are you seeing any application for yourself yet? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Israel's history has the fingerprints of God's grace all over it. Likewise, as Christians, each of our stories is a testimony of God's grace. We were lost, dead in our sins. We were without hope and without God Because of our rebellion against him. We were guilty before God and unable to save ourselves. We were deserving of and headed for an eternity under God's judgment. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. Think about that. Think about that amazing act of grace to save you. The eternal Son of God left the glory of heaven to come to earth and take on a human nature in great humility. The very thing we're celebrating this time of year, right? Jesus lived then a perfect life under God's law, the perfect life that's required of us but that we fall so short of. Then Jesus willingly offered himself on the cross as a sacrifice to bear God's judgment in our place. There on the cross he suffered intense pain, shame, and abandonment from the Father. Why? To pay the penalty for our sins. I mean, the, the, the gospel, the cross, is truly the most amazing display of love ever shown. God the Father sending his Son. God the Father choosing to pour out his wrath on his own innocent son instead of on us who deserve it. And then Jesus, the son, choosing to love his own to the end, willingly giving himself up and subjecting himself to that that suffering, to that shame, to that abandonment and forsakenness by the father. Amazing gift of love. Amazing display of grace. But as you think about your story, you know that God's grace didn't just stop there, did it? God's grace didn't just stop at the cross. God did not just accomplish this amazing sacrifice of love and then say, All right, now it's up to you to figure out how figure out about this. Now it's up to you to come to Jesus in order to be saved. No, on our own, none of us would come. By nature, the Bible says, our hearts are dead in our sins, Ephesians 2.1. By nature, no one understands, no one seeks for God, Romans 3.11. But God, in his matchless grace, sought us. He sought us. He worked through his people to bring the good news of the gospel to us. Think about how you first heard the gospel. That was God orchestrating that. And then as you heard that, God by his spirit took the word of God and he made us alive. 1 Peter 1.23 Blindness was replaced with sight. Deadness was replaced with life. Unbelief was replaced with faith. And by God's grace then we cried out to God to save us through Christ. And the shed blood of Christ cleansed us from all of our sin, and God declared us right on account of Christ. The Holy Spirit came to live in us, making us a child of God with an eternal inheritance. What amazing blessings have been lavished on us, loved ones. Think about your story. It's, it's, this is my story. This is my song. Yes, I'm praising God because my story is a story of God's grace. It's all God's grace. Amazing blessings that we've been given and we don't deserve any of them. God chose us not because of anything special in us, but solely by his grace. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says that we heard earlier. Every blessing we have and every blessing that we will enjoy for eternity is all because God chose to be gracious to us. What do you have that you did not receive? 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says. The same could be asked of us, right? Everything we have has been given to us by God. Every blessing we have has been secured for us by Christ and given to us by God's grace. And so such amazing grace demands a response, which leads to our second heading then in verse 14. Responding to God's grace. Responding to God's grace. Here's where, like Joshua has recounted Israel's history of God's grace in their lives, and now he's calling for their commitment, for their response. Verse 14 Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve—whether the gods the gods uh, your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua exhorts Israel to be totally committed to the Lord, and he describes that with four commands there in verse fourteen. Did you notice those? Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the false gods that your father served. And once more for good measure, serve the Lord, he says. And those commands are preceded with now, therefore. You see that in verse 14? The first words in the verse. Now therefore, do these things. In light of all that God has done for you, in light of all I've just re- rehearsed to you in verses one through thirteen. Now therefore. Serve the Lord In light of your history Israel In light of your existence being a, a product of God's grace Now serve God Be faithful to God It's like Joshua saying The Lord has been so gracious to you How can you not be totally committed to Him The Lord has shown you time and time again That He is sovereign over all these so-called gods of the nations So why would you serve them The Lord is the one true living God. Serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. The Lord alone is worthy of our praise and dependence. He alone can provide, and He will. He has shown that time and again. He's covenanted with us. He's he's made promises to us. He's been faithful to keep those promises. So keep trusting the Lord. Keep serving Him, Joshua says. And he, he just... He makes it very clear, doesn't he? If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord In other words, if you don't think the Lord is worthy of your devotion Then decide which false gods you're going to run after But as for me and my house, Joshua says I'm going to serve the Lord What a challenge, right? What what a clear call Based on the Lord's grace verse 16 And the people respond to Joshua's challenge Look at 16, then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who live in the land, therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God, praise God, the people get it, don't they? They give, they give a right and reasonable answer. We will serve the Lord. He has proven that he is sovereign over the gods of Egypt and over the gods of the Amorites. The Lord has proven he is worthy of our devotion because he's powerfully provided for us and preserved us all this time. The Lord has graciously made us his people. He is our God, so we will serve the Lord, they say. Israel does the right thing here. In light of the grace that God has shown Israel, they should respond in faithful commitment. Likewise, loved ones, the grace that God has shown us today demands a response. In the book of Romans, after laying out in detail God's grace to sinners like us through Christ in in the first 11 chapters of Romans, right, you know that chapter 12 is a, is a turning point in the book then. Listen to how 12.1 reads, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that I've said in the first 11 chapters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the New Testament does a very similar thing. Says, in light of God's grace, Christian, think of God's mercy and grace to you. Choosing you before the foundation of the world. Sending his son to suffer and die in your place. Drawing you to Christ through the new birth. Forgiving all your sins and crediting you with the perfect righteousness of Christ. Adopting you into his family. Pledging you with an eternal inheritance. Making you the dwelling place of his spirit. Loving you and committing to an eternal relationship of grace and joy with you. In light of all those things. In light of that amazing grace. We should be loyal. We should be affectionate to the Lord his grace demands that it demands our deepest loyalties and our deepest affection it demands our commitment like the hymn says love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my all this is true this is proper in light of who Jesus is, in light of what he has done, in light of the new creations he has made us to be, let us then love and serve him faithfully. Israel's history, right? We've, we've kind of uh, got to focus on the, the good part of their history today. The blessings. Their history shows us, unfortunately, their history was one of syncretism. And you know what that is? That's where you try to blend things. They would try to blend the worship of the Lord with the worship of the false gods of the nations, and that ended in disaster for them every time. It doesn't work. God demands, we're going to see as we continue in Joshua 24 here in just a moment, God demands and deserves absolute loyalty. The Lord is a jealous God. He is zealous for the devotion and glory that he deserves. God does not want his people straddling the fence between Christ and the world. Jesus said the same thing. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. Think about what the claims Jesus made. And I'm calling us to serve him, to follow him faithfully by God's grace as we'll talk about. Jesus did not claim to be one of many ways to be made right with God. Maybe some of you came in here today and you had your conceptions about Jesus. And and if they're based on the world's conceptions, they're probably wrong. But I'm telling you what the Bible says, what God has revealed about Jesus. Jesus did not claim to be one of many ways to be made right with God. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus did not claim simply to be an admirable teacher or historical figure. He said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He said that one day everyone will see him coming on the clouds and have to stand before him and be judged by him. Jesus did not tell people, hey, keep living for yourself, but just add me to the mix. No, he said, whoever does not love me more than father or mother or son or daughter is not worthy of me. Jesus did not say, hey, just have me around to get you into heaven, and in case you ever need me, you know, you kind of like an emergency switch you can pull. But, but otherwise, don't give me a second thought. No, Jesus did not say that. Instead, he said, whoever would follow me must renounce all that he has, meaning I'm no longer Lord of my life. I give it all to you to be used as you see fit. Jesus said, whoever would come after me must daily deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus did not say, believe in me, but keep living like the world. Keep pursuing the values and securities of the world. No, instead he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The things of this world are passing away. Treasures stored up in heaven will last forever. That's what Jesus said. So in the model of Joshua today, I call us to a similar type of commitment. If Jesus is Savior, then believe in him. If Jesus is Lord, then serve Him. If Jesus is precious, then cherish Him. If Jesus has the words of life, then sit at His feet and soak in His teaching. If Jesus is truly the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, then seek Him and abide in Him every day. No longer waver between two things, no longer having trying to be. Uh, like like Israel will be, unfortunately, trying to follow after the gods of this world, but oh, I want Jesus too. No, it's all Jesus. May God help us. And that leads us to our last heading. From chapter 24, we've considered remembering God's grace and responding to God's grace. And now thirdly and finally, Relying on God's grace. Relying on God's grace. The people declared in verse 18, We will serve the Lord. (laughs) Look at verse 19 though. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey see what joshua's done there i mean he is he's helped them count the cost right he said god's not going to share your affections he's not going to share your loyalties it's it's all in and again we talked about that the conditional nature of of the covenant he's saying if you if you don't if you're unfaithful to the lord forget it he's going to curse you that was the covenant they were under But they say, no, we're all in. Verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and set it up there under the Teremeth. That was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people. Behold this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you. Lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away. Every man to his inheritance. And that's the end of the story of Joshua. Later a few verses it records his death. Again, Joshua's shocking statement there in verse 19, that you are not able to serve the Lord. That was meant to alert Israel to the seriousness and exclusiveness of the commitment that the Lord demanded. Because God demands total allegiance. And Israel insisted they would obey God faithfully, so the covenant's renewed, a large stone is set up as a witness witness to this solemn occasion. And if you're keeping track, that's like the seventh heap of stones or large stone that's been... Erected throughout the book of Joshua here. So the book of Joshua ends with this encouraging scene of commitment and celebration of God's faithfulness. And as I chewed on verse 19 this week, it drove home the truth to me that as Christians, we are saved by God's grace and we continue to depend on grace as we follow Christ. When he says, you are not able to serve the Lord your God. He could say that of us, right? In our own strength, we are not able. We are prone to wander. Even as born-again followers of Christ, we still have remaining sin that makes our hearts prone to wander after the things and, and false gods of this world. God forgive us. But praise God that just as it was God's grace that called us and saved us initially, it is God's grace that will preserve us to the end. We are called to forsake our idols. We are called to put to death the sin that remains. But we cannot do that in our own strength alone. We do that through God's enabling. Philippians 2.12 Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is serious. For It is God who works in you. Praise God for that part, right? It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Loved ones, we depend on God's grace in order to follow Christ in obedience. And when we fail, which unfortunately we will, we continue then to throw ourselves upon the grace of God. Praise God that the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from all our sins. Praise God that Jesus has faithfully obeyed the Father in our place and his perfect righteousness is credited to us. And because of that assurance, that assurance of of righteousness credited, of sins cleansed, because of that assurance we can joyfully and fervently pursue obedience to Christ in dependence on God's grace. And so let us this morning, and we're going to have a time, of, a, a time to examine our hearts here with the Lord's Supper. Let us examine our hearts and see what, what idols do I still have? In what ways am I still following the course of this world? What areas am I not totally committed to the Lord? And by God's grace, let's forsake those today. Let's resolve to serve the Lord in sincerity and faithfulness. Let us strive to be totally committed to our God. In a moment, and and we do all this in reliance on God's grace, in a moment we'll be able to sing these beautiful words. Oh, to grace how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let us do that today. Let us say, Lord, here is my heart. You have sought me. You have bought me. I want to be totally committed to you. And I know I need your grace for that. And so please show me what that looks like in my life right now. Where am I not committed to you? Teach me, grow me, keep me, Lord, by your grace as you promised to do. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your amazing grace. Truly you are holy, holy, holy. There is no one like you. Such a gracious God who forgives sin and is so patient with us and and gives us all these blessings that we do not deserve. Lord, please show the power of your grace today by drawing sinners to yourself. Lord, if there are any here today who who had unbiblical inadequate views of Jesus, Lord, may you show them who Jesus is today that he is the only savior, the only way sinful people like us can be made right with you that he is the one true Lord before whom every knee will bow one day. I'll show them this Lord give them faith to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and for those of us who you've already graciously saved Lord please remind us of your love remind us of your grace remind us of the commitment you call us to show us Areas of sin, Lord, that we need to confess and repent of. Show us where our commitment is, is, is lagging, Lord. And, and give us grace to, to follow you. Not by our willpower, but by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could have the men come forward, please, who are going to serve the Lord's Supper to us.